Hello, Edgard. Hello, Gavoir. How are you? I'm doing good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. So today we have the third installment of our podcast and the final podcast of the first season of discussions on psychoanalysis. Yes, this is the finale. And we will talk about can an analysis actually be over? We are looking forward to reading your questions or comments. You can find us on SoundCloud, Twitter and Facebook. Or directly through the email discussions on psychoanalysis at pm.me. The links will be in the podcast descriptions. This is Edgar Danielsen. My name is Grégoire Pierre. Welcome to Discussions on Psychoanalysis. Edgar, can an analysis be over? I think you and I are on the same page. We agree that an analysis is never over. There are, I would say, five main reasons why we think it can't. I'm just going to give them to our audience now. And after that, we are going to talk about them more in details. First, the drive. Not everybody believes in the drive. We both do. Doesn't mean you have to interpret the drive systematically or at all. And if we perceive the drive like Freud did, it's always going to push. So there will always be changes and you can't tame completely the drive. You can sublimate, you can displace, but you can't really turn it off. Our second point, the conflictual nature of the psyche. You can't just cancel the conflict. And third point is about the untouched parts of the psyche. It is a fantasy to think that one is going to be completely analyzed. There are always going to be parts of the psyche that will be untouched by an analysis. The fourth point is that the subject is always moving. It's not as if the psyche as a subject was something that stands still and that can be reshaped completely because mm -hmm. it's reshaping itself through its own existence. Our fifth point is that you can control fate. The analysis does not exist by itself. It exists in a world where you can control everything that will happen, neither to you nor your patients. Yes. For those who read Analysis Terminable and Interminable, those are the points that Freud brought up in his article. So let's try to move now and flesh out each one of those categories that you have mentioned. De facto, an analysis can only be partial. To think that analysis could cure you, Freud already tried to debunk that myth, and it's striking to me that it's still there. Mm -hmm. Are you referring to what some other people called being well analyzed? To me, the goal of an analysis is to be able to tolerate castration, to experience oneself as a subject of oneself in one's own complexity and to be able to connect better with external objects. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. You might get angry, you might still get sad, you might still get frustrated, you might still complain. And often you hear when you start expressing some concern or complaints mm -hmm. that maybe you haven't been analyzed enough. 
Mm-hmm. I think that that's something that perverse the idea of an analysis. Of analysis. As if you could become analyzed and then you're perfectly fine and perfectly compliant without any pain or any conflict. As if you could be untouched by your environment. One way that I see that happening in some institutes is when committees would ask you, what do you know about your own aggression? Mm-hmm. That's a very common question in some committees. Mm-hmm. And there is a sense that the underlying question is, have you been well analyzed? Meaning I, that your aggression disappeared. Yes. Or that I am in full control of myself, let's say. Mm-hmm. The underlying idea would be that if I am well analyzed, my aggression won't interfere mm-hmm. uh, at all. Yeah. It doesn't take into account that my aggression uh, or my experience or of aggression or anger in this therapeutic setting may say something about what my patient is experiencing. So it misses that point. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. That it just might be justified. At some point in the article Analysis Terminable and Interminable, Freud mentioned that in situation of intense crisis, the analysis is not useful anymore. And I think it is an illustration of how Freud did not take into consideration what psychoanalysis could also be. Not just a tool to analyze, but also a tool to contain, which asks the question of the end of analysis very differently. Can you expand a little bit on that? As we pointed out earlier, Freud believed that analysis would end when the infantile neurosis would be resolved. Mm-hmm. And we are facing more and more, I mean, not even more and more today, we are on a regular basis working with people with whom it's not even a question. It's not a question. They don't come to analysis to resolve their infantile neurosis. Mm-hmm. They come to analysis because they don't feel sufficiently their own self. You might have uh, situations in which you end up nourishing the patient sufficiently that something of an ego will appear and then you will move on to a more, I would say, classic analysis. But Even with this, I would say, welcome development, it's not clear that the analysis can end in a traditional way. If you are working with someone who's mostly on a neurotic structure with um, ego, superego, and id in some ways well-established and uh, differentiated from each other, Mm -hmm. you can end in a traditional way an analysis in a sense that the subject comes in treatment with already a sense of self. So all that work is already done for you. This is somewhat a caricature because, of course, it's always more certain than that. In some ways, you come with someone already stable and then you can go in depth and you have this typical patient that we hear about and that we read about in most of the traditional books on psychoanalysis. With those, I think you can end an analysis in a sense that they might get to a sense of fulfillment Of course, you would have to understand that you can't be completely fulfilled. You have to understand that part of the analysis is to tolerate castration. But when you work with people whose sense of self is not yet sufficiently secure, it's not systematic. But it is possible that an analysis might not end at all. How that would look like? It's an analysis that is about containing and nourishing a cell that hasn't been born sufficiently well, that hasn't been nourished sufficiently well. The patient will might be um, free enough and might eventually find sufficient social structure uh, that will uh, contain him or her. But you can go even deeper than that in some ways. And if you work with someone who's psychotic, you can't expect 
that the analysis will end like in the books. Mm -hmm. You have to understand that the process of analysis will not end. What you're saying reminds me of a case I read. I don't remember the author, but I do remember the idea of a patient who had been 10 years in analysis. And one day the analyst was looking outside and the woman came, she was driving, and she parked her car very well aligned between the lines of the parking lot. And for him, there was a clear evidence that the woman was getting organized internally. No, yeah. So we're not talking about someone who became completely contained, but somehow she was able to park her car. <laughs> And that's enough. It doesn't end in a traditional way. In It goes along with my experience with children and adolescents with psychosis and autism, is that you should certainly not expect them to have the same kind of growth a more neurotic person is going to have. And in some ways with my children and teenagers with autism I worked with, the fact that they could look at you, the fact that they could hold your hand, the fact that they could maybe throw up a little less. The fact that they could hit themselves against the wall a little less. Yes. Those were successes. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, you don't practice psychoanalysis with such population the same way you do in your own office. You understand gains in a different way. Yes, I agree. It goes to the point that an analysis can theoretically end with patients who experienced a sufficiently nourishing environment, who were not hurt too much by life after that. Even Freud pointed out that an analysis is, in quote, completed if fate has been nice to the patient, if it's only completed because everything goes well in someone's life after. It shows how an analysis is de facto a never-ending process. Reality is that Freud pointed out that environment has also something to say in terms of the psychoanalytic progress. When you mentioned the word nourishing, I thought of Winnicott and the good enough mother. Mm -hmm. So perhaps what we should strive for is a good enough analysis. I think so. Winnicott's concept of the good enough mother and how it can be applied to different aspects of psychoanalysis and I guess life in general is extremely useful. It is. It addresses the need to tolerate imperfection. Yes. And actually how health is located in this good enough. If we add to all this that the conflictual nature of the psyche implies that new conflicts will emerge no matter how analysis ends. There is little we can do against that. And if we also add that we can turn off the drive as such unless we believe that the ego is almighty or that certain places are not reached by the drive otherwise if you take the drive as Freud mentioned it it is always going to be there is always going to push so no matter where the analysis ended something new is going to come up mm -hmm. i agree We get to the point where it's really clear that transformations can only be partially successful and they are always untouched mechanisms. Mm -hmm. Things uh, the patient forgot to talk about, things that didn't come up because there was no live event that produced the connection to such dynamic. As we get more insight on how 
our fantasies and wishes play out in our behavior, in our relationships. Sometimes new relationships or new experiences of life, meaning reality, mm -hmm. will also stir up different manifestation of the pleasure principle. So yes. the desire to lower pain, decrease pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we go back to the idea that the power of an analysis is limited. Actually, even Freud tried to convey the idea that it was not possible, that analysis could cure everything. Yeah. Well, but the need to have an almighty psychoanalysis seems very strong still today. An analysis is endless if the end of it, I mean, the goal we have, we may have, is that we will have um, mental health that is free of conflict. The equivalent from other fields would be physical health is state where there are no physical issues. So, of course, in those cases, it will be endless. So it brings to the fore the question about what is normal and what's pathological. Yes. Uh, would you like to jump into that or well, should we, we leave that to a next podcast? It's not about being perfect. It's do you feel good enough? You have uh, obsessive tendencies? Well, you might still have them, but are they going to prevent you from experiencing life? Experiencing life, a fulfilling life. Yeah. If they will, then you should probably stay and we should um, work on who you are more. And mm -hmm. if you feel like actually you can go and live your life and enjoy it, mm -hmm. Uh, I think uh, we can consider that the analysis uh, reached its goal. Yeah, It's really about tolerating castration because we won't save completely people. We will just... Probably something hard to swallow is that analysis is such a difficult work, even from the clinician perspective. It's long, it's difficult, and yet mm -hmm. what we achieve in some ways might seem very little. It shows how little changes mm -hmm. take a very long time to be uh, achieved. achieved. Yes. Yeah. On the other hand, from the perspective of the patient, perhaps those little changes mean the world to them. If they can go through their lives without, let's say, obsessive thoughts interrupting their functions mm -hmm. that might feel like a miracle to yeah, them. Yeah, like uh, less a slave to oneself. Yeah. Those who develop an observing ego and they can see themselves, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this again. Mm, yeah. And that moment of insight helps them to pause for a moment. Yeah. And it might seem indeed extremely small and yet very important. Have you had patients who left because they thought they were well enough and then they come back? I had people who left because they thought they were well enough, but they did not come back. Okay. <laughs> and I have to say, when those moments happened, I was not always in an agreement with them in terms of oh. how well they were. Oh, I see. But as we said last time, what we agreed on is that something had happened that made the work impossible to continue. Mm -hmm. I've seen someone who wanted to be able to be more in contact with people from the opposite sex. And eventually, when this person was able to do so, the person said, OK, bye bye. Yeah. And in my head, I was like, oh, but do you remember stories about your grandpa, stories about your mother, father, how things happened then? And Maybe the person will come back. Who knows? Uh, it's, no. Uh, no. No, no, no. I'm very confident that this person that, will not. Okay. But, but this you never know. Yeah. But really, uh, yeah. the, the way it happened made me understand that I was wrong in the way I perceived our work. 
Oh, I see. But I have had some experiences of people coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually what has happened is that life has hit them in such a way that they regress to use defenses that they thought had, they had already worked through. So they realize that they need to come back and do some more work. So it has happened, uh, to me at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we could say maybe that some people leave because at some point they become functional enough and others might leave also because uh, they feel that the therapy or the analysis is getting too close to something that could be hurtful to them. Well, we're reaching the end of the section, so I would like to give just a few uh, ideas about how, uh, why an analysis also can't really end or can't end in the perfect way that some uh, school of thoughts would like us to believe. First, that uh, we should keep in mind the influence of the analyst's countertransference and transference in the end of a treatment. It can happen that something on the analyst's side is actually making the, the end impossible. And that's where going back to Uh, what's one Lacan said once I mean he said so many things is that uh, an analysis can go um, only as far as the analyst can go and I think there's really something to that and he talks about the necessity uh, for an analyst to stay in therapy as long as possible because indeed our own limitations will impact the potential of the analysis also just a few quotes one of my professor back in France used to say something that stayed with me is that that to be healthy is to be able to get sick and get better. Again, it goes to the good enough yeah, that we've better, been talking about. Not get cured. And yeah, it, it and allow oneself to get sick. Uh, to be sick doesn't mean that you're not healthy. But to stay sick and to not be able to get out of it means that something else is going on and that needs work. Another quote, obviously from Freud, uh, that psychoanalysis can only bring uh, everyday life's misery. It's uh, a statement to the limits of our art. Uh, so if we're lucky, we, we are neurotics. Yeah, yeah, still in pain, but not too <laughs> but much in pain. Not too much. <laughs> And something that I will say first in French, because it comes from Lacan too, is that la guérison vient de surcroît, meaning that cure comes as a bonus. How many times will I say that? I'm not in complete agreement with Lacan everything. I But think you're French. I know, I know, <laughs> I know, that's, that's what people tell me often. <laughs> There's some kind of intuition people have just to believe that and since I I'm get, French. I think you mentioned that your analyst was a Lacanian. I learned, I think, during the last session with my analyst in France after nine years that she was a direct student of Lacan. Okay. Yes. <laughs> after all the mean things I said about Lacan. <laughs> <laughs> well, she, she gave me that. <laughs> I felt free to well, trash him more than once. Anyway. Yes, and she was able to contain it. Yeah. <laughs> she could certainly hear that I wasn't always wrong, I believe. <laughs> anyway, um, and I think the fact that the cure comes as a bonus is a really good way to see psychoanalysis Really, psychoanalysis, not psychotherapy. Psychoanalysis puts aside the idea of whether or not you're going to get cured. Mm -hmm. I think that's very important and I find sometimes hard to keep in mind when we practice. But the purity of psychoanalysis, I think, lays there. And going back to the counter-transference, sometimes we feel pulled into the cure mode, or meaning the patient seems to demand a cure for us. And puts us in, in a difficult place, you know. Yeah, because that's not what we can provide. It's not what we can provide at all. Maybe we wish to. 
We want to. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, to conclude this section, a famous part of the article, Analysis Terminable and Interminable. Edgar, you want to bring it up? In the article, Freud mentions that there are three impossible professions, one of them being a psychoanalyst. Mm -hmm. The other is government and education. Yeah. I guess what he meant by that is that what we hope to accomplish in the end is not what we accomplish, to put it in my words. Yeah, or maybe more specifically that we can be sure beforehand that it will not be enough. It won't, yes. It's doomed to fail. Yeah. When we have been working with a patient for, for a while, I think they also reached that conclusion. What brought them to psychoanalysis is not exactly what we are accomplishing in psychoanalysis, but it's good enough for them. Yeah. Let's talk about the final part of this podcast after the last session. Edgar, what kind of connection do you keep with your former patients? None whatsoever. So once we reach termination and the patient leaves my office for the last time, that's the end of it. I always hope for the best and I don't know how the best will unfold for them. In some cases, they come back, but that's different. But once we reach termination, I don't contact them. They usually don't contact me. And yeah, life goes on. I guess same for me. I consider that it's part of the frustration of being a psychotherapist or a psychoanalyst is that you can't be anything else. Mm -hmm. even after the therapy. And if you desire to be something else after therapy, you will hurt most, if not all, the gains that someone obtained during an analysis. I know there are some therapists who reach out to patients that were under their care. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, actually, it happened to me. I had a patient with whom I had worked for a few weeks, if not months, and eventually this patient came back and told me that she received a phone call from her former analyst and that for a different reason she decided to go back with this person. I don't know exactly what to think about it. I feel like it talks about probably the need for money, the need for attention. I mean, it's me projecting or uh, trying to find hypothesis on sure, why a colleague sure. would do that. Obviously, something was not going well enough in the work I was doing with this person. Otherwise, yeah, she uh, probably would have stayed. But for a therapist to call back, I mean, if, if it was true, I have no proof that it was actually true. Yeah. But I would not recommend that. You let them contact you if they want to. If but they you, want to. You don't contact them. Like, Correct. Uh, I think it, it creates an imbalance that will hurt the therapy after that. Yeah. Well, I guess this concludes our last podcast and our first season of discussions on psychoanalysis. We're thankful for your presence throughout this year and we hope to see you soon as we start the second season of discussions on psychoanalysis. We can tell you already that the second season is going to focus, let's put it broadly, on social and psychoanalysis. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your participation, for all your comments, all your questions. We are still looking forward to reading your comments and questions for this podcast or previous podcasts, and we will answer them the best we can. Until then, see you. Bye-bye. <laughs>